0: Somebody and say it's good to see you. <clears throat> now look back at them, and say it's good to see me too. All right, hey, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor. Here at Crossroads, and what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I Actually, believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about jesus we say this around here we say it's all about we wrote it on the wall if you need some help and what that means is you're going to need a bible to follow along and so if you forgot your bible we got you covered you need to slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get a bible to you and then if you don't have a bible that's our gift to you take that read that every single day because every time you do you get to meet with jesus amen amen you can do a little better than that Uh, every time you read the bible you get to meet with Jesus Amen? Amen. amen amen so we get to meet with Jesus this morning and uh and that's good news and I want you to turn in your bible to the gospel of John the series we've been in for uh over well over a year now and uh I think we're close to a year Easter will be a year. Tyler's the timekeeper back there. And uh, so Easter, I think, is when we started. Uh, so we're coming up on a year this spring. And so I want you to look at chapter 15, starting in verse 18. If you're new to the Bible, you can start in the right and turn left. You'll find it faster. You can go two-thirds of the way through. You'll find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're in John chapter 15, verse 18 and you can say amen when you're there if the world hates you know it is that it has hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world therefore the world hates you remember the word that I said to you a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will also persecute you In chapter 16, verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from following away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you will remember that I told them to you. Will you pray, pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace today. We thank you that you have left for us these words. John wrote them down, and we are now, thousands of years later, reading the predictions you gave the disciples, the encouragement that you gave them, the reality of the world we live in we will seek to know you all the more to stare into your wonderful face and behold the beauty and truth of who you are and we ask you that everything we say and do will bring glory to you and good to this valley and everyone said amen Amen. could you imagine that being a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad or whatever social media platform that you're on or a billboard driving down the highway. Hey, if you would like to be hated by everyone, come join us. Right? Could you imagine that being your slogan for membership can can you imagine that being the thing that you put out you do a sponsored ad and you're scrolling and it comes up and go hey have you ever considered that uh, you could live a life where no one would accept you they might persecute you the world will hate you that if you if you join us uh, and and sign up now Right? Could you imagine that being our small group slogan around here? Would any of you join the small group? I mean, I mean, could you imagine this b- being uh, the, uh, the posture of Jesus or the disciples? I, I mean, you can't imagine this posture if you think what they're trying to start is some sort of organization. You might be uh, frazzled a bit if what you think they're starting is a religion where they hope that anyone and everyone will join and they can get as many numbers as possible joining their side. Maybe that's the the, the wrong posture if they're trying to do what many of us in our churches have been trying to do for many, many years years. See, I had someone say to me the other day, they said, Pastor Sam, Christianity has a PR problem. And I said, his name is Satan, friend. (laughs) See, Jesus leaves for us the reality of who he is. And it is in sometimes stark contrast to what we have now propagated in the church or church ministry or what we hope to achieve as an organization or religion. We would like to have as many people as possible join us and we would love to be a part of something that is extremely popular and everyone seems to like. But then you get to these difficult passages that Jesus leaves for us. Now, he's specifically writing to the disciples here, but I think there's a lot of things that we can glean from it. And, and what he goes on to say is, they'll listen to you. If you've kept my words, they will keep the words that you leave. Now, think about what we're reading here today. We're reading John, who was young when he followed Jesus, older when he wrote the book, but he tells these stories about Jesus, and he remembers this very vividly, and then he's going to write this book that has been going viral for thousands of years. I mean, he wrote the verse not, uh, that, that everyone knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Man, if we're going to put out an evangelistic join us campaign, you think that would be the verse that we use? It is the verse that we use, right? Listen, come join us. You can have eternal life and you'll be loved. And everyone, anyone who believes, but the belief becomes the problem. Have you ever found yourself in an argument over what you believe versus what somebody else believed? You ever been in a confrontation because you are convinced of one thing and you're moving in a certain direction and yet the other person is completely convinced of the exact same thing? I know it's really hard to imagine a culture like this, but imagine people believing things on different sides of an argument and being so firm in their belief that they would be even considered fanatical about certain things. Are you tracking with me at all? right see the belief becomes the problem why because belief drives behavior so in the same book we get a a passage where jesus is talking to a religious leader who has a concept of God, but he sees something peculiar about Jesus. This is found in John chapter 3, a conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a religious leader who's afraid to have the conversation openly, so he comes in at night and asks, teacher, rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you must be born again a very literal man says i'm not signing up for that he says what do you mean i have to enter into my mother's womb again you can see the sarcasm really that's what you're going to say to me okay says no no no, no you're, i'm talking of spiritual things you must be born of the flesh, then born of the spirit. What is water is water. What is spirit is spirit. And it's like the wind. You don't see it coming. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. And I know what you'll say. I know where the wind comes from. Lompo, right? <laughs> and... It's, and yet he says the, the, the Holy Spirit comes and breathes and changes and moves and breathes, put wind, puts wind to ourselves and moves us in a direction. And that direction is the proof of life. Or, in other words, your behavior will begin to show people what you actually believe. If you look at how someone behaves what they're committed to the direction they go you can trace it back to what they believe. And yet right now in our culture very quickly we scan across stores and we scan across our parking lots and bumper stickers and clothing and we quickly look at behavior and then we will propagate back or we we begin to fill in the blanks backwards and we will begin to pontificate on all the things that we think other people believe. Not that you've ever done this, but try to imagine that. Try to imagine that you can determine someone's political beliefs, their religious beliefs, their upbringing, their biases, all by taking a snapshot look at their clothing, their behavior, maybe even their accent. All right, all right, all right. And making a snapshot judgment of who they are yet that's a part of the human nature. That's a part of what we do. We are quick to make judgments because we're afraid of what we don't know. And so we would begin to try to fill in all the blanks to satisfy our curiosity. And, and yet some of it's true. Some of it is that uh, these judgments are made because these things have played out statistically. If someone behaves in a certain way, I, I can draw that back to a belief system. And then here we have right in the middle of our cultural context, people on different sides of arguments, different, uh, on people's different sides of persuasion. You can imagine and fill in all the blanks, all the things people are arguing about these days. And then the church finds itself smack dab in the middle of the culture in the middle of the conversation and my question for you is if they followed you around if they observed your behavior if they joined you for dinner and an evening out would they begin by your behavior begin to know what you actually believe I mean that's where we find ourselves here because the problem is is oftentimes our belief systems And we as Christians, I don't know if you're aware of this, if you are a Christian, your belief system will put you at odds with just about everyone. Join us, right? Sign up, right? And yet we are surprised by this. Why are we surprised by this? Have we glossed over the text? Have we forgotten some of the things that Christ has left for us? Have we endeavored to make popular organizations, popular movements, rather than being committed and bearing witness of the truth and understanding that belief is divisive because belief will drive my behavior. And when you see me walking in a different direction than you, you can determine that maybe we believe something different are you with me pretty good preaching thank you pastor sam right see we can determine very quickly the direction see we're in this text right after jesus says things like i am the way the way i mean i mean he's putting movement to his this assertion to this what is seemingly an ethereal idea i he says i'm going away he goes show us the way he goes you're really the, i am the way so following jesus has movement and direction and behavior it's not simply ideology or philosophy it actually is something that belief, not just confession, not just saying I believe something, not just, uh, not just being associated with some type of belief system, but actually believing it to your core that it determines the way in which you should Go, and yet you'll find yourselves in a culture where you thought you and your friend, you and your community member, you and your neighbor, you and this other person were were going in the same direction, and you'll find yourselves at the crossroads. And, and, And you'll have to make a decision, and that decision will be based on what you believe, and I can promise you that that belief system will be divisive. But division doesn't mean that it's not loving. Divisiveness doesn't mean that it's not Christ like. See, here's some things we got to clear up in this particular passage. There's a contrast that we begin to see between when Jesus is talking to the disciples. And ultimately, their relationship one to another. And then in this part, in verse 18 and on into 16.1, he begins to take a completely different mindset when he talks about the world around us. And see, here's some things we got to clean up, is uh, we think that Jesus blanketly tells us in such a way, and, and, and the way it comes across is... Reminds me of a Will Ferrell movie where he says, man, everyone love everybody. And what he means is, can't we all just get along? And the answer is, (laughs) you guys are quick at that one, right? (laughs) Far more divisive than I realized you people, right? Like, can't we all just get along? And the reality is, is we don't believe the same things. The reality is, is we're not going the same directions. And so we can't get along. Along would imply that we're going together, that we're riding in the same vehicle. We've hitched up in the same wagon. We've tied our oxen together. Wait a second. There's this passage, you remember it? right you, you you mainly talked about it when you you were counseling with your pastor about who i should marry and and they said don't be unequally yoked we're not talking about breakfast this morning right and yet the analogy is far from it It says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers Now, at the same time, we've taken these types of passages and and we've given permission to shun people, judge people, be uh, impolite to people. And then at the same time, we've used those same passages and we've said, see, this is why the world doesn't accept the church. The church is not relevant anymore. This is why people are leaving the church in droves. And can I tell you, that is not true at all. And yet, we use these passages, and I think here's where I have to be careful, is the enemy uses these passages to do sleight of hand and and create an illusion of what Jesus is actually saying to us. And so, when we get to this passage where he's going to definitively say, if the world hates you, gives a condition here, if the world hates you, Know that it is because it hated me before it hated you. I mean, think about the irony of that to begin with. Jesus, who not even the Roman Empire could find fault with him, right? Like, like it's, it's coming up on tax season, and we're worried about someone finding fault with us. Right, friend? Like, you're like, what, what do you mean? What, what we're saying is, is you're nervous. You're like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want anybody. Do somebody's going to find something with somebody. I mean, if, if, I, don't, I don't want to submit the blueprints. They might find something fault with it. They might send it back. I I, I, don't want, I don't want them to follow me. I don't know that I'd I turn my signal on. I don't know if i change lanes right. Everyone gets nervous when someone has the eye on you. Amen. You could feel as though you're doing everything right, but let's just be honest. If you follow me around for 15 minutes, you're probably gonna find a problem. How about you? Okay, let me ask it this way. How many of you do what is right at all times, in all places, with all people? Go ahead and raise your hand. Right? Man, we could find fault with you. Someone say amen or oh no. And yet the Roman government Who could find anything to accuse you of? Who could find any reason? Any reason to prosecute you? Any reason to try you? Any reason to convict you? And yet, standing before Pontius Pilate, Pilate says, I can find no fault. I mean, he's he's worried. He's like, man, I don't want innocent blood on my So he washes his hands in front of the people and says, you're going to have to decide this because there is nothing to hate about this one. And I'll give you the contrast. And yet he says this thing where he says, I'll bring out a murderer. Barabbas, I'll I'll bring him out, I'll put him on stage, and I'll show you the contrast between the two. Maybe you forgot, maybe you've believed the propaganda, maybe you've believed the mob, so let me just put it right in front of you. And they bring Barabbas out on stage. People know him, he's a convicted murderer. They know who he is, and they look at the Son of God, the person of Jesus, the spotless, blameless lamb who's been healing people, preaching goodness. He's feeding people. He's doing all the things. He literally has n- no mansion for you to be jealous about. He's not been corrupt. He's not stolen money. The Bible says that he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And they put him on the stage next to Barabbas. They go, who do you want? And the crowd begins to tra- chant, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. What? What? Wait, what? All of a sudden, the mob is swayed, and they 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 ask for him to go free rather than Jesus. Jesus is saying in this particular passage, it would be hard for anyone to believe that's possible. I mean, maybe he has some opponents, but he's going to say in the first part of this. Now, remember, it's It's after the Last Supper. They've moved into the courtyard. They have went out through the Garden of Gethsemane. And and he's walking along the vineyards and the fruit trees. And he's saying, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Man, and he's committed to you that you'll bear much fruit. And they will see your love one for another. And it will prove that you are my disciples. They'll see how you are. They'll see the tight-knit community that you are, that somehow you're intertwined with the vine and you're plugged into a source that they can't begin to trace back and, and, and they see things growing and they see things moving and changing and what was chaotic is now had order brought to it. And right after he says these things, right after he says, if you love me, keep my commandment. They go, what's your commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. Then he goes into this. If the world, he uses this word that actually is where we get all of the cosmos. He goes, he goes if the world outside of this place, pocket outside of this order outside of this way he says if the world hates you and i can imagine john and, and and peter and those guys going what i mean i knew we had some problems i knew there was a religious sect i, I knew there were a few people that didn't like you but, I mean, we were a part of the crowds. We saw 5,000 men, not counting women, children, show up, and you fed them with a lunchable lunchbox to you. Man, they loved you. I know you said that vampire thing about eating your flesh and drinking your blood, and that got weird for a second. But uh, but, but, but then you raise Lazarus from the dead. I mean, you conquer death. Everyone loves you. Just show them all the things you can do. They don't hate you. You can't mean everybody, right? You can't mean all of them. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. then he's going to go on and describe what's going to happen. And no servant is greater than his master. And he says that I've been put forth in front of them and they see the contrast of their way versus his way. He puts in front of them the person of Jesus, causes them to call into question their very sinfulness. These are the religious leaders. They feel as though they are making sacrifice and religious rituals in order to please God. And yet he says, no, when they see me, they'll be convicted of their sin. They'll be aware of just how they've missed The mark, they're guilty of it right here in front of us. And then he says, and this will fulfill the law in their scriptures. Verse 25 of chapter 15. They hated me without a cause. You go, man, why are are people so, why do people just hate Christians? I can't figure it out. Right? Why, why are they frustrated? Why is, it, why is it always Christianity that they're against? Why, why is it that people become frustrated when you begin to talk about Jesus? Why is it that the world is divided on this person? Why is it there's an uproar in the Middle East around this person of Jesus? Why is it that there are whole regimes committed to extinguishing this superstitious religion around the person of Jesus. Why is, is it that from this day on, if they persecuted him, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. And they did it without a cause. They did it without a cause. So you know what that means? You stop figuring that out. I mean, you got to be aware of your contribution or what I mean is the contrast between you and the person of Jesus. If you're just uh, 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 out in your way going, hey, I'm just, uh, 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 people, some people aren't gonna like me and you're just intentionally uh, pushing the issue because that's your personality and that personality looks nothing like the person of Jesus. Then you're just wayward and off and confused. But if your behavior begins to mimic and look and your belief bears witness that you actually believe Jesus is who he says he is and you actually believe that they hated him without a cause and they took an innocent man and they convicted him and they murdered him and they thought that was the end of the game but yet They cut down the vine, the tree of life, and this tree of life was planted into the ground. It was a tomb, and three days later, life sprung out of that empty tomb. Someone say amen to that, and now from that day on, what they label superstitious what they label fantasism, what they label as conspiracy. Fishermen came and overthrew Marines in the night and stole his body. It sounds pretty far-fetched, don't you think? Right? It's insane. They're crazy. I know that his his half-brothers went on dying for him. They never confessed. They never gave him up. And they went on, once they were mocking him, but then they would be martyred for him I know it seems improbable but this is what has happened and no matter what label no matter what attack no matter what persecution the gospel of Jesus Christ and what I mean is God became a man lived a selfless obedient life and he did it to trade places with you and I where people have cause to hate you and I people have cause to be frustrated with me. Somebody's prayed, man, God deliver me from Sam Kaiser. Don't think about my wife when I say that, right? It's rude, rude. right? someone, Someone has seen you as the bad guy in their story at some point, because you already admitted that you don't always do what is right in all places at all times with all people, that you are someone that has had fault that is justifiably yours and yet Christ is not. And yet he lives this life that the Bible says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Theologians call this idea double imputation meaning that we have imputed to him our sinfulness and he imputes to us his righteousness. Martin Luther would call this the great exchange, and it's lopsided. It's not an equal transaction. You stacked up against the Son of God. This seems preposterous, scandalous. This seems like an unfair trade. That's exactly right, friend. That's why the Bible defines it as grace which means unmerited, undeserved favor with God. This word favor is what we get the word righteousness, to be in right standing, to be in alignment, the way a vine is in a straight row, being submitted to the vine dresser, being tied down. Although he wants to go chaotic, he submits to the work of the vine dresser. Why? For your joy and the enjoyment of others that the end product, the finished product of the fruitfulness of your life, that people will be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. And yet, right after this deal, he says, but the world's going to be against you. And the world will not want to go in this way. The world will not bear witness to the truth. The world will hate you. And he's specifically talking to the disciples here. He's specifically saying to them, when they kill you, whoever kills you, could you imagine them sitting there? Wait a second, whoever kills us, Jesus? Right, can you imagine that in your next small group meeting, right? Right, whoever kills you? They're going to think they're offering service to God. And then the New Testament will introduce a character named Saul of Tarsus. And he will begin to murder and persecute Christians and have them killed. And he will think it is because he is doing the work of God. Fast forward thousands of years. An Islamic terrorist who persecute in the Middle East Christians. And they think it is in service to God. There are people all over the world that are facing terrible tribulation. And sometimes we in the American church can be so distant from that. And yet we are wooed by our comforts. We conform to our conveniences. And yet Jesus is building his church. Here's what I'm convinced of. That whether you think that the world is getting better, and there's some strong evidence to suggest that the world is better and has continually gotten better, no matter what news station you watch, and yet there's some strong evidence as well. And what do you mean by better? Well, none of us have lived under the type of regimes that existed like ancient Egypt, or persia or the babylonians or the romans who would literally pack out colosseums, and for entertainment they would slaughter hundreds of people Man, you it's hard to imagine you watch a movie and you you think about these things and yet here we go and maybe you go well pastor sam what about what about hitler what about stalin what about mussolini Yeah, their their reigns were not hundreds and hundreds of years. Centuries the Egyptians ruled. Centuries the Babylonians ruled. Centuries the Persians ruled. Hitler was merely a few decades. Because Christians and other people around the world said this is not okay. We'll not just mind our own business we will we'll come together we'll stop these uh, atrocious things we'll spend money we'll risk life and limb no greater love does someone have than a friend who would lay their lives for a friend or someone they've never met or known and yet we know these stories we 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 hailed them as heroes the people who stepped into the abyss here's what i don't know i don't know if the world's getting better i don't know if the world is getting worse Here's what I do know, that the church of Jesus Christ is getting bigger and stronger since the time of Jesus, and it has never taken one step back. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so then at times in the American church, what we do is we're so blind and we go, man, maybe church attendance has dropped or the American church or millennials, or we think of these things, but maybe that is pruning. Maybe that is sifting. Maybe that is us determining what we actually believe, not just accepting what is popular and palatable, but we would actually bear witness to the truth that God's son raised from the dead and he gives life through him and him alone. Maybe we would stop worrying about organizations and religions and we would start teaching people and discipling people that there is a way where there seemed to be no other way. And this way leads to a relationship with the God who created you and loved you. And he sent his son and he died for you. And it is in him and him alone that you can know who you are through him. It is through him and him alone that he has designed you to work in a way and anytime you go varied off from his design for your life, this is where anxiety and fear and depression and hopelessness lives. But when you find yourselves in a row, when you find yourself like a vine, the chaos of your life being submitted to his way and his alone, you'll realize that that's the most fruitfulness that you've ever experienced in your life. What you'll realize is that's where life really is, is submitted to his Design. I was recently watching a documentary. You can find it on YouTube. It's called Sheep Among Wolves, and it's about the underground Iranian church. And See, I, I'm not one to try to give a contrast to condemn us. We have different issues that we have to deal with in our culture. The Bible says that you and I live where we live because of the hand of God. We are destined to be right here, and we have to ask the question, Sometimes we think if we lived somewhere else in other different conditions, maybe we would be more bold for Christ. Maybe we would bear witness, and if things were more difficult, we would stand up. But listen, friends, if you endeavor to be popular, you will never, ever bear witness of that which is the most divisive thing in the history of the world, that is the person of Jesus. So I was watching this video, and they talked about how the underground church in Iran has boomed, and they can't stop it. Do you know that the Church of Jesus Christ has thrived more under persecution than it has under prosperity? So, all those times when you pray for prosperity, know that it might not be for your best in your best interest. No, man, I wish people would come to the knowledge of Jesus. Maybe your prayers will cause difficulties. Maybe God will give us what we need rather than what we want. And it will be for the good of others and the glory of God as he rings out our lives. See, the, the Iranian church is booming. and Some of it is because of their discipleship method is they don't believe in converting in order to disciple. See, and I think that's the, the kind of method of the Christian church is we convert. We, we, we wanna journey with you and make this easy for you. And we don't wanna get into the difficult things, the difficult things of like life change, the difficult things of direction change, the difficult things of leaving that so you can go this way, saying no to this, to say yes to this. And so what we do is we, we just try to, like, let's, let's just, let's just try, to, try to convert them first and then we'll try to disciple them. But you know, Jesus didn't do that. And you think your method's better than Jesus? You know what Jesus did from the very first time he encountered someone? He began to disciple them. What do you mean? D- disciple comes from the word discipline. He begins to direct them and discipline in the way they should go from the very first encounter. Follow me. Come this way, not that way. Come towards me, not towards that. What's the implications of that? It means, friend. That when you journey with people, are you discipling them? Those people that you already said aren't supposed to help direct where you go. That you wouldn't be tied to. You wouldn't just get in the car with them. You you wouldn't be unequally yoked. But the question is, are they driving you? The Iranian church, one of the things they begin to do as soon as they encounter someone in a coffee shop, in a street market, they begin to tell them the ways of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. And oftentimes we're so afraid of that. Well, I don't want to offend them. Listen, friend, if you're going to be truthful in your endeavors, you have to risk offending people because the truth is offensive. The truth is divisive. The truth says, I go this way, not that way. You go, well, I don't know if people are gonna like that. They won't. And he promises it. How do we bear witness of what we believe? Man, I'm just as susceptible, friends. It's hard. I I just got to be honest. I want you to like me. I do. I sing and dance for you. Right? I mean, he sings, I dance. You know? I really do. But loving you doesn't mean I make you like me. And that's where the church has got it wrong. We've said... In order to love our community, we have to posture ourselves so that they like us. And Jesus says, actually, if you were of the world, they would love you. Because you wouldn't rub them the wrong way. You would never push against them you'd never steer them, you'd never convict them of sin because you've put into the place the person of Jesus. And when people see Jesus, they will be aware of their sin. You don't hear a lot of moralizing from me up here. I don't get up here and name different things, but here's what I know, when I paint the picture of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will begin to show you the contrast between you and Jesus. I don't have to name your sin. The Holy Spirit will make you aware there's something different. It's like the child's game. Point out the thing that's not like the other. And the Holy Spirit will show you. That's what he says. He says, I've been put out in front of them and they'll have no excuse because they've seen me. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin that they've rejected the person of Jesus or in other words they've said I'd rather go my way my way is better than his way man I'm susceptible to this wooing of popularity you know our culture has convinced us that more is better you know more isn't better Better is better. More isn't better. And yet let's be honest. Like how many of you recently had a birthday? How many of you who had those birthdays, you're on Facebook, right? And how many of you read all the comments of the people who wished you happy birthday on your Facebook, right? You just went, how many more are there? <laughs> Can you believe all these people they love? I haven't heard from them in 15 years. How did they know it was my birthday? Huh? Right? Like someone called you, you forgot they called you. Someone actually sent you a long text like, hey, happy birthday. We, we love you. Like you're like, yeah, it's great. How many more people told me about it? See, we're conditioned in our culture that more is better. How many followers do you have? Not how many close friends and confidants and people who journey with you. Not how many people go to war with you. Not how many people go to bat for you. It's how many followers do you have? Like think of even that in contrast to what Jesus says, follow me. And the enemy is convinced us, convincing us that people should follow us. How many followers? How many likes? How many comments? More, more, more. It was uh, a couple years ago. Told this story a couple times. I think it's imperative for this because I, I can tell you that at times I think I think people are dealing with what pastors have dealt with for many years, which is quantifiable popularity. Right even you know what it's like and you're like want to tell you're like how many people go to your church and you're like oh there's lots of people right right and then you come you invite them and you're like there's usually more people here you know <laughs> I swear the second service must be packed you know right I hear lawn pokes killing it you know right everyone's watching online there's like there's a lot of people online right or like, hey, you pastor a church? How big is your church? How many people go there? And now students have to deal with this. How many TikTok followers you got? Like we used to just know the pecking order of popularity. Now we can quantify it. Now we got a number to it. Man, all of a sudden insecurity and fear. There was a few years ago um, at the Valleywide uh, conference, uh, the Patmos Bible conference. Uh, Were myself Pastor Rick Murray Pastor Jay Marshall and Pastor Rick Soto we all got together and for four days we all took a different night a different worship team and there, there are a lot of people there at Presbyterian Church and man I, I spoke on Thursday night and I gotta be, I gotta be honest man I, I, I felt like see my, my heart is always to uh, be helpful to you and that doesn't always mean that I'll be good at what I do but I want to be helpful on that night I was good and helpful all right I should be honest I killed it and uh right I did my little boxer. I was throwing paper wads at people and they're like who is this guy why does he wear a hat you know and uh I mean I just felt so good about it and and then I got off stage and and I kind of was just like you know where are all my comments right it's like where are all my you, you know it was kind of this moment for me a few years ago where I, I had to wrestle with like what I was doing and, and Pastor Jay kind of had went around the, the side and he had, he had went, what I didn't realize, he had went to the bathroom and I just thought he was like, man, this guy and left, right? And, and someone came up to me and, and like, they had been to our church, they left and they, they saw another guy. And the first comment he said was like, I gotta go talk to that guy. I heard him give his testimony, changed my life. And I was like, great. I said some stuff too earlier. <laughs> You know, and, and then all of a sudden I'm standing there with my, I'm kind of like just feeling it and, and Pastor Jay comes back down the middle aisle and, uh, only my wife and I know the full extent of, of what he said to me. And here's a guy at another church that, you know, the people have kind of jumped back and forth or went here went there for whatever different reasons and and here's this guy who who doesn't have to say anything nice to me I don't really have a strong relationship with and he comes up to me and I can tell you that he he said some of the most encouraging things to me that I've ever had anyone say to me especially someone who wasn't a close friend and I won't share the things that he, he said to me. It was just, some of the stuff was just over the top. And he was super sincere. And, he, and he, he kept us there for like 15 minutes. And I could see out of my peripheral, there were other people trying to come up and talk to me, but they were like, well, I'm, you know, and they, and they walked off. And then we left and I went home. And at the time, man, I was taking a break from social media and, and I had no way to get online and be like, did anybody quote me? Right. I mean, I wonder if they put it like a picture with quotes on it. Like I didn't, I didn't see. And like, I started like having this detox moment where like, I was like, did I do a good job? You know, like I'm, I'm like starting to pace around my, uh, uh, my living room. My wife's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, ah, you know, I, I was addicted to being popular. And my wife looked at me And she said, did you even hear what Pastor Jay said to you? And it stopped me in my tracks. I went, no, I'm just looking for more. And sometimes we can so be looking for more or what is popular. See, here's the contrast that Jesus gives us in this passage. Before he says, you're going to love one another. Love one another. You're going to need it. Because the outside world's going to hate you. Don't endeavor to be popular to a world that is already postured to hate you. Why? Because you have an enemy crouching at your door. And he is the antithesis of all that is good, he is against everything, he is for nothing, he is the Satan. He is real and he is opposed to the things of God. And it, people will hate you without cause. So why are you pandering for their attention? Man, I need, I, need, I need to realize, see the church has historical, been fighting against each other. And in some ways we fight against each other because we're like, listen, if we don't get this right, the community's gonna see us in a bad light. If we don't do this right, then man, people won't just show up. We will never grow. We'll never be a big church. We'll never gain popularity. You know I'm telling us the truth. Man, that's something I've dealt with. I'm dealing with. I'm praying through. God, help me not to try to endeavor to be popular but principled. Let me bear witness of the truth, even if it makes the community go, man, that guy, man, no matter what they say, and then you know what we're going to need? Each other. And that will prove that we are his disciples. He looks at the disciples, the love you have one for another. I ask the question, are you loving the people next to you in the community of faith? or Are you more concerned with people who are outside? Because here's what I can tell you. The best thing you can do for the people outside is have the most amazing love and relationships inside. And they'll go, I want that. You know what happens out there? They turn on each other. They devour one another. The church of Jesus Christ is different. Why? The love you have one for another. From all different backgrounds, all different races and different faces, and all of a sudden God makes a family that's unified together, loving one another, and the world stands back and beholds there's something different about them. And when we do that, we'll bear fruit that this valley will taste and see that the Lord is good. They'll go, that tastes like hope. Man, they'll begin to get the notes. (sighs) You know what I'm getting a little hint of? Patience. No, Something else there kindness hope and hope won't disappoint and the world will come begging for a drink begging for a taste don't endeavor to be popular endeavor to be a people united together under the banner that is King Jesus, we stand and bear witness of the truth. Will you pray with me? Gracious heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace. It's hard to stand in contrast to the world, but you said you'd send the Holy Spirit who would help us. Man, our world, the enemy has conditioned us and wooed us away with what is popular. But help us to stand on the principle, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, the truth. Let us bear witness of this truth and let the world stand and see Let them come to the knowledge of who you are because of the love we have one to another. Loving like you means, Jesus, when the world comes and hates us without cause, we will love them anyways. Help us. Holy Spirit, we need you. Let everything we say and do Bring glory to you and good to this valley. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?